Uh, we started looking at the Gospel of John at the beginning of Advent in, in December and, and uh, covered the first half of the, the first chapter of John during the, the Advent season. And now we're jumping back into the, the Gospel of John. We're going to cover that uh, probably over the next uh, two years or so. We'll be in, in John mostly. We'll take a couple of breaks here and there. Uh, but we're going to embark on looking here at the life and the record that John recorded of the life of Jesus. And so here in the, in the first chapter, we are continuing to be introduced to the person and work of Jesus. And the way that John the Apostle does that is he has introduced us to a guy earlier named John the Baptist. And so through the ministry of John the Baptist, um, John has given us a view into who Jesus is and what he's doing and the sort of the jump start of Jesus' ministry, which we'll get into full-fledged in the, in the coming weeks. So the, the Gospel of John here uses the, the sort of the person and work of John the Baptist to show us uh, the person and work of, of Jesus Christ. Uh, to understand who Jesus is is a crucial thing. Jesus, of course, is the most important person in the history of the world. His life is the most crucial life ever lived. It has played such an important part in the history that, that the Western world centers our calendar around the occasion of his birth. Have you ever thought about that, the magnitude of that? History's gone on for thousands upon thousands of years, but yet our calendar is only two year, 2,000 years old because it marks, generally, the birth and the beginning of the, the life of Christ on earth. Such a momentous occasion that it has, has directed and impacted even how we order our days here. But what the Apostle John does in this gospel here is he keeps us focused. He seeks to keep us focused on the fact that Christ has come to redeem us from the wages of our sin from the, the penalty of death that we all deserve. He keeps that in the forefront over and over and over, not in, in every single paragraph, but constantly returning to this theme. And we see it today as we look at um, this introduction, continuing introduction into who he is. Um, in the first chapter we see here, John the Baptist proclaimed the thing that is most important to know about Jesus. And that is that he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Uh, he can, and he can do that because he is the very Son of God. Those are the two things that are emphasized here um, by John through the, the, the life of John the Baptist and the, the things that John the Baptist is doing. So my hope for us as we study the, the Gospel of John here um, in the coming days is that God would use this study and our look, this deep look into the life of Jesus to transform our lives, to increase our faith, to help us to believe rightly and to believe more wholeheartedly even that this is the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and that we would be amazed by the grace that we see here and he'd give us new depth and insight into the beauty of the gospel. All right, with that in mind, I'm going to read for us from John chapter 1. I'm going to read verse 19, uh, start in verse 19 and read all the way down uh, to verse 34. So give great attention to the reading of the very word of God. It says, uh, And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. 
Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to, to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have, and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Would you bless our study of it? Would you reveal to us uh, rightly who we are, who you are, how we relate to you, that we might do so rightly all the days of our lives. Thank you for Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. It's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, so John the Baptist is having such an influence uh, on the culture at large and just, I guess, in Jewish life in particular, uh, that he's become famous. And so the Pharisees have, uh, the Pharisees in Jerusalem have sent a group of priests uh, to Bethany here to find out exactly what John the Baptist is up to. Uh, because he's doing priestly things out here in the desert. And so the priests and the Pharisees there who are the law keepers are trying to make sure the, the Pharisees were you know, this, this strict sect who were really about obeying the law and making sure everybody else obeyed the law. So they were, you know, sort of legalistic and judgmental even in some of those things. We'll see as we get through the, the Gospel of John that some of Jesus' harshest um, sort of words and condemnations of things going on in the culture are directed towards these guys, the Pharisees. Uh, and so John as well, as we'll see him today, sort of taking some uh, opportunity to... To, to go after them a little bit and their, their wrong stuff. And so we see John's out here doing these priestly things. And so these guys who see themselves as gatekeepers and send some priests to find out exactly what's going on. Is this guy a priest? What's, what is he? Who, what is he doing? And so as we talked about a few weeks ago, um, you know, they asked him if he was the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, you know, someone like Moses. But John, as we just read, tells them that he's simply fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. He says, you know, I am the voice of one crying out in the desert, make straight the way of the Lord. Basically, he's saying, I'm the one standing out here in the wilderness saying, look, Jesus is coming. The Messiah is coming, that I'm preparing the way. My teaching is all serving not to be about me, but to be about him, the one who is to come. We could even say that John the Baptist is the last of the prophets like we had in the Old Testament. For the, the role of those prophets were to point the people of God to the hope of the coming Messiah. And that's what John's doing. But now that the Messiah has come, John's sort of the last one saying, look forward to the Messiah coming. Now, from now on, all the teaching will be, look at Jesus, the one who has come. And so John's sort of the last in this strain of Old Testament type prophets that we have. Um, so this, this consumes John's ministry. What we see is he is constantly and consistently telling everyone 
that he is not the one who should be famous and should be scrutinized and all these sorts of things. He's telling everyone that they should be looking for and looking to Jesus. For Jesus is the one that all of the Old Testament has been guiding us towards. And so if we miss Jesus here, if anyone misses Jesus, then we've missed the whole point of the Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah. We've missed the point of anything that John the Baptist is doing here. And so we could kind of sum up the ministry of John the Baptist as being, as, as a simple message of him, talking about Jesus, not me. John the Baptist was constantly saying, him, Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, look to Jesus, not me. He must increase, I must decrease, John says later on. We see this when the priests ask him why he's baptizing. Now the priests have been sent by the Pharisees, like I said, this group of Jewish scholars who were highly influential, yet highly meticulous about the people keeping the Old Testament law. Um, you know, to the point that they believed that they were made righteous, that everyone in a sense was made righteous in the sight of God by their obedience. Now we know, uh, because we've looked at it various times from various angles throughout the New Testament, that that's not just arrogant, it's actually impossible. Because Jesus says when he's asked, what does it take? What is the standard of righteousness to make yourself to be right with God? And he says, be perfect as the Heavenly Father is perfect. But yet we're also told that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what the Pharisees are after is actually impossible. So they're having to build a false dichotomy, a false picture of themselves to get this false righteousness. But yet they're very proud of it. And so they flaunt their righteousness, their keeping of the law, of course, as they define it in, some, in many ways, to be the standard of righteousness. And so Jesus later on is going to tell them, you're wrong. Your, your, the, your righteousness is false. And so we see even some of that today when John is, is doing this. Because, um, because, but because of their concern for doing everything according to the law, and of course seeing that, like I said, everything, seeing that everyone else is doing everything according to the law, the Pharisees are concerned that there's this strange guy out here who's eating locust and honey and dressing and, you know, looks like he's a mountain man of sorts, we would say probably. You know, and so they're worried about this strange guy with this growing fame out here in the desert doing things that are rightly reserved for priests, like ritual cleansings, which is essentially what John's baptism was. John was telling people that in order to prepare themselves for the coming Messiah, they should confess their sins and repent of their sins. They should repent and, and then they should look forward to the Messiah. In a sense, repent and believe, which was the message that Jesus comes preaching as well. And so those who came confessing their sins, seeking to repent, to prepare themselves for the Messiah, he would baptize them. This was a ritual cleansing, a lot like what they would have gotten at the temple when they went for their, to confess their sins at the temple. And so look, this is a priestly thing he's got going on that was very much what they were doing at the temple, which the priests were reserved on. They, they wanted to keep that for themselves, of course, they, they had the right to do that because I mean, that was their livelihood and that was their calling. They were set apart for that. But now there's this rogue guy out in the desert doing similar stuff. So they go and, and of course, search it out to figure out what he's doing. Um, but when the priest from Jerusalem asked him about his baptizing, John could have said, you know, my dad was a priest. We know that from the other gospels that his dad was a priest. I have a right to be doing, I, I have some merit to be doing this. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't defend himself. He, he tells them, instead he tells them that they shouldn't be concerned about him. 
He's like, guys, y'all are worried about the wrong person. You shouldn't be worried about me. There's one among you. Jesus was already out in public, walking around, had been for his whole life. He's, Jesus is 30 years old at this point, or about. And so he says, look, there's one among you whose sandals I'm not even worthy to untie. You're worried about the wrong guy. I'm not the one that's going to upend this whole system. I'm not the one that's going to come and bring the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the fire. That's Jesus. That's the one who is to come. You're worried about the wrong guy. So John doesn't even defend himself. He just says, look, guys, in a few days, you're not even going to be worried about me. Now, they end up being that. John actually ends up being so convinced by this that he gives his life for this truth. It's taken from him. But it cost him his life. This defense of Jesus as the Messiah, ultimately. He points them to Jesus instead of defending himself. Well, in our story here, as it's recorded by the Apostle John, um, we get down to verse 29. We see that the next day, Jesus actually shows up. We assume that these priests who were sent by the Pharisees are still there. John seems to be talking to them. John the Baptist does. And so when Jesus walks up, you know, we should assume, like I said, that the priests are still hanging around confronting John the Baptist. Because what he, what he says, I think he has in mind the priest. Because when, he, when Jesus walks up, Jesus says what? He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, we love that. I say that all the time because it connects with us. We've studied atonement theology. We understand that Jesus was the sacrificial lamb who died for our sins. But listen, the, one of the primary roles of the priest in their job and their service to the community was to make sacrifices for the sins of God's people. There have probably never been a group of people on the face of the earth that would understand the impact of John's statement like these guys that are gathered before him in that moment. When he starts talking about the blood of the lamb that was given, these are guys with blood-stained hands. They've been at the temple in their work of service doing the work of making sacrifices, killing animals, burning them, doing all those rituals. And all the days of the year and all the occasions when sacrifices will be given, these are the guys that have done it. And so when he says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, these guys are intimately connected with that type of ministry. The impact of that is greater than we can even understand today, I think, in so many ways. Because he's saying that, that Jesus, the one, is the one who will bring fulfillment. Talking to these priests, he's saying in a sense, you priests, Jesus is the one that's going to actually bring fulfillment to your life's work. Every time that you shed the blood of a lamb, you were pointing to Jesus. You were pointing people to Jesus. When your hands are bloody with sacrificial blood, this is the day that you were guiding people towards. The day when the Messiah would appear on earth and begin the work of saving his people from their sins by laying himself down as a sacrificial lamb. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Gospels of Matthew and Mark record the actual baptism of Jesus that John refers to here in this passage. Uh, but here, John tells them about the moment that, the, that he baptized Jesus and, and saw the Holy Spirit descend upon him like a dove, which God had told him would be the sign that the Messiah had come. It, God had told him the one on whom the dove descends is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Now, Matthew and Luke, like I said earlier, add another phrase. They say, uh, where John tells the, the priest there that this is the one, Jesus is the one who will come baptizing with the Holy Spirit and with fire. 
And, and what we know by that is that Jesus is, I mean, John the Baptist was warning these priests and because they're going to go report back to Jerusalem, he's also warning the Pharisees that they're going to be reporting back to in a sense. And so he's warning them. He's telling them that this Jesus, this one who now stands before them is the one who has come to bring salvation, baptism of the Holy Spirit, the one who comes and transforms us and changes our lives and the one who's going to bring the fire of judgment. He is not only the one who comes to cleanse people from their sins, but also to cleanse the earth of all ungodliness. One day Jesus will stand as our judge. And those who have not submitted to him, who have not been covered by the blood of the Lamb, been transformed by the cleansing of the Holy Spirit, are going to stand judged, condemned. He's warning them that if they themselves do not repent of their false righteousness, that they will find themselves under the judgment of God, find themselves in the threats of the fires of hell. We've got to remember here that John the Baptist is a prophet. His role is to warn and to declare. And so he's warning them and declaring at the same time, this is Jesus, the one who's come to bring salvation, and yet will also take sin so seriously that he is the one who will judge. So here we find... John the Baptist doing this in this very moment as Jesus walks by, declaring hope, warning of coming justice. You know, at the baptism of Jesus, the, the Messiah's public ministry is kicked off. It is at this moment that, that Jesus sort of steps into the spotlight. He's been living faithfully for, we think, about 30 years at this point. But now for the next three years, he's going to step into what we call his public ministry, sort of out of the shadows into public teaching proclaiming that the kingdom of God has come and, and pointing people forward to his death and all those sorts of things. You know, I was taught uh, when I was growing up that the baptism of Jesus was simply an act of obedience that he was doing to, to fulfill all the things that God commanded to, uh, and that it simply served to teach us how we should follow him in baptism. Now, now I agree that all Christians, including their children, should be baptized, but... That's not what is actually going on at this moment. This isn't simply Jesus going through the motions of obedience so that we'll know how to follow him. What's going on here is Jesus is embarking on his priestly ministry. His public ministry was, in a sense, had a priestly component to it because he's getting ready. It's all leading towards the day when he's going to do the priestly work of paying at the cross for our sins. And so Jesus is entering not just public ministry, but priestly ministry in a sense at this point. And, and so this baptism by John, who is of a priestly line, remember his dad was a priest, is serving essentially as what we might call his ordination in the ministry. And so the ritual of entering into the priesthood in those days involved a priestly cleansing administered by a priest. And so when Jesus goes to John to be baptized, remember, uh, you might remember from the other Gospels, John says, whoa, 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 wait, I shouldn't be baptizing you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, 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 this is what's necessary. And what he was talking about is for me to be, to do the work of a priest in a ritual sense, I have to be baptized. I have to be cleansed. Not that Jesus needed cleansing, but he is keeping the law. And so he said, I have to be cleansed in this priestly ceremony. And John serves as the priest who's cleansing Jesus in preparation for his entrance in the ministry here, into this priestly work. Uh, so John was the, the priestly baptizer here that gives earthly validation to the ministry of Jesus. But there was even more going on than that from John's perspective. 
We're told in the other Gospels that when the dove descends upon Jesus, that God spoke. And so John heard God speak to Jesus, saying, here's what God said to him. He said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. John may have been doubting on some level whether this is really the Messiah. Is this guy really? We know even because his ministry doesn't even look like what John expects it later on. John questions again in the future, kind of forgetting this moment maybe and the impact of this moment. But he hears the voice of God ring out from heaven. He sees the dove descend as the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus there to give a sign that he is, he is the Messiah. And then John, imagine this, hears the voice of God from heaven saying, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Like I said, these things work together to provide such a striking moment that, that John the Baptist goes throughout his whole life risking his life, ultimately giving his life, uh, to proclaim to all the world about Jesus that this is the Son of God. Do you see how that ends? The last thing he says here, he says, um, in verse 33 and 34, he says, I, I myself did not know him, meaning God had to reveal that to John. John wouldn't have just known, hey, this is the Messiah. God spoke to him and told him, here's the things to look for. And so he does. He says, he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend, like the dove, and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit, who brings the cleansing work of salvation into the world. He said, and I have seen and I've borne witness that this is the Son of God. Life to those who believe. But for those Pharisees and those priests who didn't believe that, John's just asking to be convicted of heresy, which would have been taking his life. He's proclaiming that this guy, this Jesus, who stands in their midst, is the very Son of God. God himself in the flesh. This is amazing. And so we, you know, these priests who have been doing the work of God, pointing forward to the Messiah, all of a sudden they're standing before the one to whom they've been pointing, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. <clears throat> you know, in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, we're introduced to the world of Narnia, a once beautiful world that has grown cold and dark. There's four children, the Pavinci children, that enter this world and find their way into this mysterious land through this magical wardrobe. And uh, they're led to uh, this snow-covered forest where it's been winter for a hundred years. The great quote I love says that, that it, it's, it's always been winter over and over without ever being Christmas. You know, just dreadful winter uh, for a hundred years. In that land, evil reigns. Hope essentially is dead there. But with the arrival of these four children, things begin to change. The creatures that live in the land of Narnia start to have hope again. The children are told that there's an old Narnian prophecy that says that before deliverance would come, two sons of Adam and two daughters of Eve, two boys and two girls, two male humans, uh, would come and would appear. And these children, in the eyes of the citizens of Narnia, were messengers of hope. But the, the hopes of the citizens of Narnia are not in the children. They're in someone else. Their hope is in a lion named Aslan. And the children are taught an old Narnian rhyme. Here's what it says. It says, wrong will be right when Aslan comes in sight. At the sound of his roar, sorrows will be no more. When he bares his teeth, winter meets its death. 
And when he shakes his mane, we shall have spring again. The Pevensey children are simply ones who, on their arrival, are signifying he's coming. He's coming. They aren't the hope, but their presence points to the hope that Aslan might come, that winter might go away, that life might spring up in Narnia once again. So the Pevensey children don't bring hope in themselves. They bring hope in the one who would follow their coming, the one who would bring deliverance. That's the role that John the Baptist plays here. He doesn't come declaring hope in himself, but in the coming of, a, in the coming of another, the one who is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Let me pray for us. Father in heaven, as we study your word, as we get deeper into the gospel of John in the coming weeks, God, and months and, and years even, God, would you use your word and even the proclamation of your word today, the news that Christ has come, that the Son of God is among us, that the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world has arrived. God, would you help us to be amazed by that, that you would take on flesh and live among us and send your Son to, to do that, that even while we were still sinners, God, that you would demonstrate your love by sending your Son to die for our sins. Would you create an amazement within us that we might never get over, that might drive all of our lives, drive us towards loving you and, and loving people, loving righteousness and hating sinfulness, because we want to honor you and glorify you and point to your glory above all things. God, would you help these truths to root deeply in our lives and bear much fruit for you and for your glory? We thank you for the ministry of John the Baptist. God, help us not just to look at him, but to look to the one whom he pointed to. The lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Thank you for being our God. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.